0: listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm going to approach this particular passage a little bit differently and what I've been doing, instead of reading the entire passage, Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48 together, I'm actually just going to work our way through, uh, verse by verse, through this passage. So let's begin with verse 43 here in Matthew 5. And Jesus begins, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this is the sixth time, the sixth time in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus utters the phrase, you have heard that it was said. And what he's doing is he's capturing the common sense assumptions of their culture of that age. He's saying, here's what you've heard. Here's what you've been taught. Here's how you've been formed. Here's how you've been scripted. This is the lens through which you've been trained to view the world. And Jesus says, now I'm going to teach you a different way, a better way. And in this case, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, haven't we all heard that? Maybe not in so many words. Maybe it's not given to us on a chalkboard as such. But we've all received this message just by virtue of being Americans, just like probably any culture in the world. We've imbibed this kind of mentality. We've been indoctrinated with the idea that there are certain people who are on our side. There are our neighbors, the ones we have some affinity with, and we are to like them. And then there are those people who are not on our side, and we are to not like them. It's this us versus them mentality that has so fractured America. When we do this instinctively, we don't even realize we do it sometimes. We divide up the world between good and evil. And of course, when we do that, we never assume we're on the side of evil. But we assume, okay, it's us and them, good and evil, and we're the good side, and God is on our side, and they're on the bad, evil side, and God is not on their side. This is how we've been scripted. It's the lens through which we've been trained to interpret and look at the world, and it fuels our animosities and our hostilities. In fact, in its most insidious form, we can even attempt to prove how much we love God by how passionately we hold to our entrenched hostilities against those that we assume are evil. They're the bad guys, they're the ones who are cursed by God. Now, we're not saying this evening that there's no such thing as good and evil. Heaven forbid. But what we are saying is that it's not as simple for you to say, here's the good group here and this is the evil group here. That's not the way it works. It's not that simple. I'm gonna show you a picture on the screen. Um, Three years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to spend some time in Russia. And one of the highlights of my life, I, I just really enjoyed meeting these people and talking to them and getting to know them and being around them. And here on this screen, you're looking at four of my friends, my Russian friends, and they are pastors of local churches over here on the left is Anatoly. And he's actually a Russian missionary to Mongolia pastors in Mongolia in the blue shirt. Next to Anatoly is Sergei. Sergei grew up a member of the communist party Hated America, hated Americans, did not believe in Christianity, was an atheist. And in the early 90s, after the the Iron Curtain had fell, some American missionaries came to his city. And through a long ordeal, he finally humbled himself and gave his life to Jesus. And now he is a gospel machine. And he's a pastor of a church in Barnall. The, The guy next to him is Andre. Andre was stoned out of his mind hit rock bottom, and now he's a pastor of a church. I got to preach in Andre's church. And then over on the far right is Zanya. Now, Janya is, you can't tell from the picture, he's, like, he's really big, like this bodybuilder-type guy, huge guy. And he only knows 12 English words, like something like just a handful of words. But three of those English words are, sit down, please. And during the entire, like, two weeks I was with Janya he probably told me that 12 to 15 times. Sit down, please. Please, sit down. And he meant it as being considerate. He was trying to be hospitable. But because of his accent and the tone of his voice, it sounded like an order. Please, sit down. And there were times, like, I didn't even feel like sitting down. I was, I was wanting to stand up to stretch. And, and he would say, sit down, please. So I, just, I would just sit down. But I'm, I'm telling you, these are amazing, salt-of-the-earth, servant-hearted men, some of, the most, um, some of the most incredible others-oriented people I've ever met in my life. I, and I grew up as a little boy at the tail end of the Cold War. You know, it was Rocky Balboa versus Ivan Drago. And that's how I thought about Russia, and that's how I thought about Russians until I actually became friends with some Russians, and now in the middle of this Russian war with Ukraine, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for the Ukrainian people, but I'm also thinking about my Russian friends who are also in their own way caught in the middle of this and their lives are being affected in ways I don't fully understand. It's not as simple, folks. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Russian dissident who opposed Joseph Stalin, and in return found himself in a Soviet gulag for eight years. He wrote this, these famous words, the line separating good and evil passes not between states, not between countries, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. In fact, I'm going to tell you this, the only legitimate divide of good and evil works like this. Trinity, good. Humanity, evil. Trinity, just, humanity, unjust. That's how it works. And what did God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, pray towards humanity? Father, forgive them. Jesus spread out his arms on the hard wood of the cross and towards the very people who crucified him, prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He literally loved his enemies tangibly and prayed for his persecutors. Now, look at the very next verse. Look at verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus lived his sermon, didn't he? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see any qualification here. I mean, we, we dance around this verse. We do all kinds of gymnastics with this verse to make it easier on ourselves. And we write commentaries that say, well, you know what, when Jesus says this, he he certainly cannot mean to refer to, you know, those enemies who are especially nasty towards us. He's talking about, you know, being nice to your grouchy grandmother. But I don't think that interpretation will take us very far. For one thing, the parable of the Good Samaritan blows that out of the water. And you have to realize, when Jesus gave this teaching, he's given it to first century Jewish peasants in Palestine who were being ruled over by the Roman Empire, one of the most brutal, vicious empires known to the history of humankind. I mean, the Romans ruled by terrorizing people into submission and compliance, and and they would round up sometimes innocent people and brutally murder them just to prove a point and keep people in line. And so to a first century Jew, when they hear the word enemy, they, the first thing they think about is the Romans. They're enemy number one. And here Jesus in this context has the audacity to say something like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you without any qualification whatsoever. I love the silence in this room right now. Seriously. Because it means you're thinking, you're considering, you're reflecting. If, if you had just jumped up and said, amen, Pastor Ryan, I'd say, oh, man, they didn't get it. This ought to, this ought to disturb you. This ought to challenge you some. I want to give you two axioms that will challenge you, but I think they're going to be very helpful. In fact, you might even consider writing these two statements down. The first axiom is this. The biblical test case for love of God is love of neighbor. That's that's a theme you find consistent throughout the New Testament. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, in the epistles, Jesus and the apostles are going to warn us about the kind of self-deception that wants to say, I love God. Boy, I love God. God is so good. I love God. Can't stand that guy over there, but I love God. I mean, the New Testament's going to tell you stuff like, how can you say you love God who you can't even see when you don't even love your neighbor who bears God's image who you can see? So once again, the biblical test case for love of God is love of neighbor. That's the first axiom. Here's the second one. How many of you with me so far? Here's the second one, because this is where Jesus takes it to the nth degree. The biblical test case for love of neighbor is love of enemy. That's what the parable of the Good Samaritan is all about. The parable of the Good Samaritan is not about, hey, let's let's go out and help people and be a good neighbor. No, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we have two people, the Jew and the Samaritan, who have been scripted to hate each other. This is the lens that they've been given to look at one another, that I am to be hostile towards this person. This person is my enemy. And the more I love God, the more I'm going to hate this person. And instead the Samaritan says, no, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go with that flow. I'm going to buck against the grain. I'm not going to go in that direction. Instead, I'm going to choose, despite what I've been scripted and handed, I'm going to choose to love this man and give of myself to help him and be a good neighbor to my enemy. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. That's what I mean when I say love your neighbor. I want you to notice something. The whole basis of Jesus' teaching here in the sermon has nothing to do with the merits of the person in front of you, whether they're good or bad, righteous or unrighteous. has nothing to do with that. The whole foundation of the teaching has to do with the character of God. Let's look at verses 44 and 45 together. He says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, watch this, so that you may be children of your father in heaven. So in Christ, we share the father's likeness. There's a family resemblance, and no, at no point is that family resemblance seen more clearly than how we love indiscriminately. We have a capacity to love that the world generally does not have. So he says, so that you may be children of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise... On the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So we are to love like the father loves. And the father, it says, loves like the rain falls and loves like the sun shines. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're righteous or unrighteous. You know, the rain's going to fall. The rain's going to make you wet. And it doesn't matter whether you're wicked or holy. The sun's going to warm you up. It doesn't matter if you're the best person on the planet or the worst person on the planet. God's love towards you is invariant. It's indiscriminate. God does not pick and choose who he loves. God is love. It just flows out of him. There is no off button. Somebody say amen. All right. Now watch this part. When you surrender the core of your being to Jesus Christ... The scriptures teach us that God's spirit now lives on the inside of you. So now God lives in you. And as you walk with God and as you nurture that relationship over time, that same capacity to love others indiscriminately grows within you. There, it's invariant. You, you no longer pick and choose who you're going to love any more than the rain picks and chooses who it's, who it's going to fall on, or the sun picks and chooses who it's going to shine on. No, it's just because this is, this is what God is like, and God lives in me. And so as I walk with God, as I'm growing spiritually, more and more my love for one another is going to become indiscriminate. This is how you can tell you're growing spiritually. It's are you growing in love for people? Are you willing to pray for those who persecute you? How willing are you to bless your enemies? These are signs of real spiritual growth, that the Holy Spirit is really working in a person's life. Look at verses 46 and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? He's saying That's not, that doesn't make you distinct. Everyone does that. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do do not even the Gentiles do the same? Here's an interesting experiment I want you to try sometime. And the experiment involves finding some Christians and finding some non-Christians and asking them the same question. And the question is, what did Jesus teach? Here's what I found just throughout my life as I've dialogued with people. This has been my general observation. Is that if I were to ask, let's say, the committed secularist here in America, an atheist or an agnostic, or if I were to ask a Muslim or a Hindu in another part of the world, if I were to ask them, what do you know about what Jesus taught? Well, the non-Christian will probably not even talk longer than 20 seconds before they say something like this. He taught us to love our enemies. It's very much at the top of their minds. They're very aware that Jesus gave us this radical, extraordinary ethic of loving our enemies. And now you go and find a Christian and you ask the Christian, what did Jesus teach? Well, man, the Christian can talk for half a day on the subject. And my goodness, they can give you so much. I mean, they, they'll give you a, a full summary of Pauline theology and, and walk you down the Roman road and, and give you the ABCs of the gospel and the four spiritual laws. And, and they'll give you a fully developed end times eschatological chart. And, and they'll give you all of this stuff. And rarely will they ever get around to talking about Jesus's teaching to love our enemies. And if you, if you bring it up, they'll say, oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, that's in there as well. Now, what's going on here? What's going on is I think that the intuition of the non-Christian is exactly correct. That one of the most extraordinary, radical teachings that Jesus gave us is this ethic of loving our enemies. And for those of us who have actually signed up and committed ourselves to following Jesus, I totally understand why it can be convenient for us to ignore this or to marginalize this teaching. Because it's extraordinarily difficult. And it is radical and it is demanding. And I'm going to be honest, left to our own selves, we cannot live this out. It's impossible for for us to do this on our own. But this is the teaching that Jesus taught, lived, and on the cross and expects us and invites us to follow him. Take up your cross and follow me. And as we walk with Jesus on the Jesus way, as we remain in him, as we abide in him through the practices of worship and, and prayer and scripture, as we, as we derive our life from Christ, we are like a branch that's connected to a vine. The branch on its own cannot produce the fruit of loving our enemies consistently. But as we remain in the vine, as we remain in Jesus over time, we derive from Jesus the capacity to live the way he's teaching us to live. Amen. Look at the last verse here, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word for perfect here is is the Greek word telos. And in this context, it means the ultimate goal, maturing in in Christ-likeness, God-likeness, Now, if you just take that verse, leave it up there for a moment. If you just take this verse and rip it out of context and let it float on its own by itself, well, then it becomes this impossible, you know, hey, be perfect like God, okay? I'll give it a shot. But that's not the context. The context has to do with reaching the goal. Let's look at Luke's version of the sermon. You know, Jesus preached this sermon, I'm sure, many times, and in Luke, we find uh, we find uh, another account or version of some of this same content. You're going to see as we read this that it's the same sermon. But there's a very significant difference here when we get to the same part. So, So follow along with me. I'm going to read a chunk of verses. So look at what Jesus says. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek... Offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask of them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies do good and lend expecting nothing in return your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked watch this be merciful just as your father is merciful so it's the same sermon but what in Matthew is be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect in Luke it's be merciful just as your father is merciful. So you see it very clearly. The the perfection that's being talked about is not this impossible, across-the-board, moral perfectionism. No, 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 no. It's being perfected in mercy. That as you really grow up and reach the goal, how many of you want to become like God in your character? Boy, we got some work to do. How many of you want to be more like Christ? Raise your hands in this room as we really grow up and reach the goal of becoming like Christ, here's what it has to do with. It has to do with becoming a merciful person, particularly towards our enemies. And Jesus says, that's when you're looking like your heavenly dad. That's when you bear a resemblance to your father in heaven. So I want to encourage all of you as a regular discipline, discipline, there ought to be at any point at least one, two, three people in your life who you would define as hard to love, whether you would call them enemies or whether they would call themselves your enemies. I'm sure at any point in your life, there's at least somebody in your life who is an adversary in your life. And maybe sometime this week, I want you to take 10 or 15 minutes, allow the Holy Spirit to drop that person in your heart Some of you, you don't even have to pray. You know exactly who they are. Like, you you walked in thinking about them. And I want you to dare to begin praying for your enemies. In fact, let me get my phone real quick. We just sang this song called The Blessing. And every time we sing this song, I'm just kind of wondering, okay, what are we thinking about when we're singing this? Because it's a pretty song. But what are we thinking about? Are we thinking about ourselves are we thinking about one another? Well, I want to encourage you perhaps to take this song, and Daniel, why don't we close with that song tonight? Just Daniel. I don't want the band. Just Daniel on the piano. Why don't you come to the piano? I'm just, I'm just flowing. But listen to these words and ask the Lord to give you the courage to pray this genuinely over your enemies, over that person. Listen to this. The Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening, in your coming and your going, and you're weeping and rejoicing, he is for you, he is for you. Take these lyrics, take out the word you and put that person's name. Whether you feel like it or not, pray these words and ask God as you pray these words to carve within you the capacity to become more like Him towards that person. I'm not asking you to feel this way. I'm asking you to obey and follow the steps of Christ and trust the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart. And you know what? As you pray for that person, just be sensitive. There may be some more direction that comes your way, and the Holy Spirit may give you something specific to do to embody love towards that person. I'm going to tell you an example of how this looked in my life. About four years ago, it seems like the Lord's taught me this taught me to do this more than once but about four years ago there was a person who was a dear friend of mine who unexplainably became something other than a friend and became very hurtful in my life and I carried a lot of ugliness and bitterness in my heart and the Lord challenged me to just begin praying for this person I didn't want to I didn't feel like it but I did just simple words Lord Bless them. Be with them. Reveal yourself to them in a powerful way. Draw them closer to you. And as I'm praying for this person, all of a sudden I get this idea in my head. It wasn't an angel. It wasn't the voice of Charleston Heston booming from the clouds. It was just a spirit-inspired idea. And the idea was to go and take a greeting card and write out a prayer of blessing over this person anonymously, not put my name on it, but to write a prayer, prayer of blessing over that person and their family. And, and I bought a restaurant gift card and put it in the card and mailed it to the person. Had nothing to do with them and changing their heart because I don't think it did, but it had everything to do with Ryan Post allowing God to do a work in my heart towards this person very small, self-sacrificial act. But it was something that God worked through in my life. And it freed me from that bitterness. It helped to free me from that. Now some of you have been through much, 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 much deeper wounds. And this is gonna be a much longer journey. You're, the, 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 what you're carrying in your heart towards that person who's deeply wounded you, it, don't expect it to go away just like this because you prayed one time. It's a journey. Loving your enemies is a journey. And everybody's journey looks differently. But it always begins with the first step of obeying Jesus. And don't wait till you feel like obeying Jesus to obey Jesus. Obey Jesus even when you don't see and even when you don't feel. And trust God to do something in your heart. And I guarantee you, if you have the courage to dare to pray that kind of prayer, Lord, grow my capacity to become like you. If you will pray that, that's a prayer God will answer. And you'll be denying yourself and following Jesus in a unique way. And in a very small way, you're going to become a light shining in a dark world that desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.